Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Check this out, listener. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. According to researchers at BrandonGale.com, there are more than 168,000 Bibles sold or given to others in the United States every day. That's 20 million a year. So, we really must be up on spiritual things, right? Well, look around. How's that working for us? Dr. Jennings, what are we missing when we read the Bible? How are we getting through our reading of that wonderful script and not coming out better than we are? That's a great question, Charles. You know, you mentioned some stats there. According to the uh, Christian Encyclopedia, there are 34,000, or I think now most recently, 44,000 different Christian groups out there, all claiming the Bible, you know, supports their view of things. So you're making the point, there's lots of Bibles out there, but there's also lots of confusion and lots of different ways people understand the Bible. And so how can we read the Bible and know what to believe since there's so many different views being taught? We need help. So I thought some general guidelines to when you approach the Bible could be helpful. And first point in approaching the Bible is to understand its purpose. What is the purpose of the Bible? The Bible is not an instruction book on mathematics, physics, medicine, chemistry, or many other subjects. That's not its purpose. Mm -hmm. Its purpose is to teach us the truth about God, the problem of sin, and the plan of salvation. That's the purpose of the Bible. It contains all the truths necessary to lead people back to a knowledge of God, expose the problem of sin, reveal the methods of the enemy, and provide us the remedy that can heal and transform our hearts. So that's the primary purpose. So when you read scripture, you have to understand that purpose. It's not a code book of deeds to be done and sins to be shunned. Some people look at it like that. They'll read it and say, i got to do all this, got to do that, got to do this, got to avoid that. That's not its purpose. Its purpose is to teach you the truth about God, to bring you back into a relationship with the Creator. That's its purpose. Now, understanding the purpose to communicate truth, to lead us back to God so that we have a trust relation with Him, then the next principle or point, when you read a particular text, it is not most important simply to recite the words. The most important thing in reading the Bible is to understand the meaning. Mm. That's the important thing. And so when I did my paraphrase of the New Testament called The Remedy, mm-hmm. my paraphrase focused on what is the meaning of the text, not the specific words of the text. So my understanding of how inspiration works is that God inspired the prophetic penmen with concepts, ideas, truths, that they chose the words best in their vocabulary to express those truths. But the words themselves were not inspired. It was the prophets that were inspired, and the ideas or truths that were being communicated were inspired. We're talking about the remedy just as uh, as an aside. You can get that as a free app for your smart device, mm-hmm. and you can get the Remedy New Testament free, or if you want a paper version, it's available on Amazon. But what I was saying about the principles of interpretation is we're looking for the meaning. Because it's the meaning and not the words, it is legitimate to replace Greek and Hebrew words 
with English words or Spanish words or whatever language you're translating it into. If we believe the words are inspired, not the meaning, then we can't replace those words. We have to only read the Hebrew or the Greek. So everybody understands the words are not inspired, but sometimes people get confused and they start arguing, well, this Greek word is not the same word that you put here. And I go, yeah, but it's not about the word. It's about the meaning. What's the meaning of the text and does the meaning come through? That's the more important thing. The next thing is to understand as we're reading the Bible, are we dealing with symbols? Are we dealing with metaphors or similes or images or parables? In other words, we can't take everything we read in the Bible literally. Some things are very literal. There are historical things in the Bible that we can take accurate and literally, but some things are metaphorical or object lessons to be taken symbolically, and we have to have discernment to answer the question, okay, I understand the purpose of teaching the truth about God. Okay, I understand. Now, what's the meaning of this text? Okay, now, to get the meaning, is this literal or is this symbolic? Is it trying to teach me a larger truth? Mm -hmm. For instance, in the Old Testament sanctuary service, there was a lamb. The lamb that was sacrificed was not to be taken literally as if a animal is sacrificed and gives me salvation. It was to be taken symbolically that the lamb represents Jesus, mm -hmm. the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that is just an example of how we see that, but we don't take it literally that some dumb animal becomes sacrificial for us, but it's teaching some larger reality. I can see that happening a lot because people will come up with a text or a story or a parable and they'll build an entire religion around that. And that's fine. There may be some real beautiful truth in that, but it should not be the end all. It should be a means to a greater end. Am I right in saying that? That's right. And so that brings us to the next point. And this may be one of the most critical. And that is, we must, as we read Scripture, if we really want to understand it, understand the overall context of Scripture, mm -hmm. not the immediate context only. Many people focus on the immediate context, 700 B.C., when so-and-so was king and who was warring around them. This is the context when it was written, and they interpret it through the context of the local times. There's some truth to be gained from doing that, but we need to understand the overall context of Scripture and the overall context of Scripture has a much broader meaning, and that context is there is a war between God and Satan that began in heaven and came to earth, and that war is persisting on earth all the way until God eliminates sin from the universe. And the battle between Christ and Satan is not a physical battle. It is a battle of ideas or concepts and beliefs, and so for the hearts and minds of people. And so understanding that overall context, there is a war. Then when we read Old Testament scripture, we understand that in the context of that war and this conflict, God is working to bring the seed. It said right in Genesis, the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. There is a savior coming mm -hmm. and Satan is working to stop the plan. And so if you understand the overall context as you read the Old Testament scriptures, you will see that there is a battle being waged between the forces of God and the forces of Satan to keep the promise and have Jesus come. Hmm. That changes our understanding of many of the stories we're seeing. It also changes our understanding of individual battles. I think of someone during the Second World War sitting in his farmhouse and looking out and two great armies come together and they fight and one of the armies is victorious and they say, all right, the war is over and we won. 
when the truth of the matter is that particular battle is over and you may have won this one, but you're not going to win the next one. We need to look at the battlefield earth that way. Am I right in saying that? You're exactly right. And, and we get many insights in that in the Old Testament that there's something larger going on, like yes. the book of Job, when Satan's uh, walking to and fro on the earth and presents himself in heaven with the other sons of God and begins accusing God and, and et cetera, et cetera. We won't go into that whole story, but it gives us insights that there is this other dimension that's happening through the entire landscape of human history. And if we don't understand the landscape of human history as a larger battle going on, then we misread what's happening. I'll give an example. Once humankind sinned, Adam and Eve and Eden sinned, the human race could not be saved without the Messiah. If Jesus doesn't come, human race is lost. And so in Genesis 3, God tells the serpent and everyone hears that the seed of the woman is going to crush your head, so Messiah is promised. From that point forward, that is the theme. Messiah is coming. If there's no Messiah, it's all lost. Mm -hmm. And so everything hinges on Jesus coming. All of Satan's activities are now focused on stopping Jesus. This is why the scripture focuses where it focuses. Genesis 6, why does the flood come? If you don't have this perspective, well, God's punishing sinners. No. Satan is working to stop the plan of salvation. If he gets every human heart to harden against God, God has no human being to work with. He's not going to force a woman against her will to be the mother of Jesus, nor have an evil woman like Jezebel be the mother of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he needs a righteous, voluntary woman to be the mother of Jesus. At the time of the flood, the scripture says there's only one righteous man left on the earth and his family. So almost every human heart is hardened at that point, and God acts not in anger to destroy, but in mercy and love to keep open the avenue for Messiah. And thus the rest of the wicked world is put to sleep in the grave. Noah and his family continue on, and other changes happen. But then from that point forward, we notice very quickly we focus on Abraham and his family. And from your seed, Abraham, from your descendants, the seed of the woman will come to save the world. And so now that our focus of the human world, we're not focused on the whole world now, we're focusing on one branch of the human family. And not just Abraham's branch, we narrow it down to Isaac's, and then we narrow it down to Jacob's, and then we narrow it down to Judah, because the ten tribes of the north are gone. We keep focusing in, focusing in, focusing in, and that's where the spotlight is, because that's where Messiah's coming. That's why we don't have a lot about Africa or China in the Bible, not because God doesn't love those people, but because the plan of salvation is coming through this particular branch of the human family, and that's where the action's happening. The overall context, excellent. Is there more? Oh, yes. Many of the stories in the in the Old Testament, just like the flood, you can understand Satan is trying to stop and destroy the branch of the human family. So that's why I believe the famine came, and that's why Joseph ends up in a position to save that family so the branch stays open and back and forth. You can see these stories happening through the Old Testament. So keep that overall theme in mind. It's not a physical battle. It's a battle of truth and love for the hearts and minds of, of people. Who will you trust? Who do you understand God to be? And so Satan's prime weapons are lies, fear, and selfishness, using coercion. Mm -hmm. Gods are truth, love, and freedom. We also have to keep in mind that the Bible is a, in my view, recording the lives of real people who lived in real time. So these are real historic figures who did real historic things, and we can have confidence in that. But of the billions of people who have lived, we have a very few that are actually recorded in Scripture. And so— is it possible that our infinite God, as he's choosing who to record in Scripture, 
is choosing specific lives of individuals that are not only historically accurate, but those stories also tell a larger story. They're also helping us see the grand theme happening behind the scenes to enlighten us to a bigger reality. And so I think that's another way for us to understand Scripture. So if one part of a passage is symbolic or metaphorical, then the rest of that passage is symbolic or metaphorical, unless clear reasons to take it literally are expressed in that text. Mm. You see this all the time with Bible prophecy texts, where people will take a piece of it symbolically and a piece of the same text literally and create all kinds of weird eschatological ideas. So the Bible should be used to interpret itself first, meaning if you have a Bible symbol, something in, in Revelation or Daniel or someplace like that, if you want to know what the symbol means, the Bible itself should enlighten you to what that symbol means before you go outside the Bible to try to bring in some modern definition. And many people do that unless they come up again with bizarre definitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, the general theme of Scripture is the conflict between Christ and Satan. God's character of love never changes. Mm -hmm. Therefore, all interpretation of Scripture should never result in God being represented with a character other than love. If your interpretations make God out to be something other than love, the interpretation is wrong. God's law of love and his design laws of liberty and truth never change. So if we have God violating the laws of love or violating the laws of liberty in some way, then our interpretation of that passage is wrong. These are great touchstones that can really help clarify how we interpret Scripture. Oh, how important it is that we not only have that Bible, like all those thousands and thousands of people have every every day in this country, But we approach that Bible with these laws that you have outlined here. Where can people get a little bit more information about this and these laws you mentioned here? Where can they find information about that? Comeandreason.com on our website. We have a search engine there, and you can type in whatever your interested topic is. And we have blogs, we have uh, videos, we have the remedy there for viewing, but you can also get the Remedy New Testament as an app for your device. So we have tons of resources on our website for you to explore these ideas further. Dr. Jennings does not leave us out there wondering he says, hey, come to Come and Reason and Reason with us. Comeandreason.com is the website. Listener, I invite you to go there. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Always great to be with you, Charles. Thank you. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.